few Lewis and the News burst out of San Francisco onto the national music scene at the beginning of the decade with their self-titled rock pop album released by Chrysalis. Though they really didn't come into their own commercially or artistically until the 1983 smash, Sports. And that's all very fascinating, but I just realized I need to return some videotapes. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello and welcome to Outside of a Dog. My name is Jonas and I'm wearing a United Colors of Benetton shirt, United Colors of Benetton trousers and Lloyd shoes, black leather. And I'm Christian High, and I'm wearing an H&M shirt, uh, Jack Jones jeans and H&M socks as well. Oh, they're, they're sort of nice in a blue, dark blue, grey pattern. Very yes. tasteful. Thank Very you. Tasteful. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if you want to match patterns like the stripes on your socks and the uh, crisscross pattern on your shirt, you have to make sure that the colours match. But what about a scarf? No, no, don't wear a scarf. Only faggots wear scarves. Um, yes, as you might have noticed, our topic today is superficial, bigoted, and horrible in an ethical sense. What did we read, Jonas? We read Brett Easton Ellis' magnum opus, American Psycho. Yes, we did indeed. American Psycho is almost notorious for its content, its graphic depiction of violence, of sexuality, and of a mind that is so far gone in its sexism, racism, and just mental state that is basically prototype of the psychopath in the late 20th and early 21st century. American Psycho is a cult novel, and therefore it's probably worthy of our attention. It deals with the narration of one Patrick Bateman, a stockbroker at Wall Street in the late 1980s, who deals with a world that is far removed from anything else in the world at that time. It's a world of superficiality, of money, most of all, of capitalism. But he really doesn't do that much to earn that money. Most of his time is spent in restaurants, bars, talking to his colleagues about clothes, as we just did, about where to go next, about the hard bodies of girls. And that is basically already 50% of the novel, just talking about these things. But Patrick Bateman seems to be much more than just a superficial capitalist. He seems to be a really diseased mind, because he may talk about superficial things, but at least the way he describes it, he also murders a lot of people in a really horrible fashion, and nobody seems to notice. He does the most unspeakable things and describes it in the most gruesome detail, but in the end, everything is as it was before, and the readers are left just as uncertain. Is Patrick Bateman just poor, unfortunate madman who imagined these things to cope with the coldness and gruesomeness of this world? Or is he really a serial killer who does these unspeakable things? The book was written in the late 80s and early 90s. It was supposed to be published by Simon & Schuster in 1991, but they split with Ellis over artistic differences, was the official explanation, and so it was published by Vintage Books. But the book has been controversial throughout its history, 
especially because of its graphic descriptions of mutilation, murders, sexual violence. And for that reason, it has been banned in a lot of jurisdictions, including, for example, Germany. It hasn't technically been banned, that's not really possible in Germany, but it is on the index of books that are harmful to minors. Nevertheless, it has become very, very popular, especially also due to the film version, which came out in 2000, and apparently there was even a musical version that came out in the West End two years ago. And there's going to be a Broadway version of the musical as well. So American Psycho still captures the imaginations of people nowadays. And there are always talks about remaking the movie or adapting the novel again. So this is an interesting case. In our second episode on Dorita, we talked about your favorite novel. Now we're talking about my favorite novel, or maybe one of my two favorite novels. And also, this is actually a book that I have engaged with a lot um, over the course of my studies. I wrote three essays on it uh, in the past five years of going to university, which you said was a bit creepy. Yes, um, I think it's kind of telling that both of our favorite novels, so to say, are about madmen, male predators of some kind who are highly unreliable. Though at least Patrick Bateman is not a pedophile, and when he kills a child, he doesn't really like it. So hey, is he maybe not some in some way better than Humbert Humbert? Um, let's talk about that. <laughs> what do you like about American Psycho? I mean, it is a... Let's be honest about that. It is really... A horrible book, not uh, the quality, but, but just the descriptions. There are really terrible things going on. The murders, the mutilations, but also the descriptions of things. How Bateman and his Wall Street colleagues treat beggars, women, homosexuals, basically everyone who isn't waspy and rich like they are. So what is it that makes you like this novel? I think it partly has to do with when I first read it. I was 17, it was the summer holidays, I was visiting family, and I just read this really, really dark and horrible book. And it somehow drew me in. It, it fascinated me and I couldn't let go of it. And then later when I came back from the holiday, I talked about it with one of my best friends at the time endlessly. And we were both really drawn in by it. And this fascination never really wavered. This is basically the book that convinced me that I wanted to spend most of my life analyzing literature and studying literature at university because it is so rich in detail, it is so multi-layered, and it is so utterly compelling that I always felt that I will never grow tired thinking about this. I agree with regard to the detail. I mean, the style of the book is really obsessed with details, most famously, obviously, with descriptions of what people are wearing. Patrick Bateman is counting down the brands of clothing. He's counting down what people are drinking, what they're eating, the sound system he has, everything that kind of can be catalogued, that can be categorized, he is counting down. But I'm not too sure about the, as you said, multi-layered nature of the novel. For me, it is most of the time a kind of a one-trick pony. Because obviously, yes, Bateman is seeing the world differently, to put it mildly. He 
sees this superficial world of Manhattan capitalism, where everything is just about how much money people make, what they buy with this money, and where to go next to spend this money. On coke or hookers or food or clothes. Or all of the above. But really, he has a different perspective. Whoop-de-woo. He can have a different perspective on that, but that perspective isn't necessarily deeper or more meaningful. Because his perspective, apart from being quite disturbing, sometimes reminded me of the perspective of, yeah, maybe a 17-year-old who realizes <laughs> that the things he is surrounded by aren't as meaningful or fulfilling as they should be or might be, but that there is something lacking. And Bateman has this perspective of, yeah, there is something lacking in my life. He is basically a kind of, yeah, adolescent who realizes that, oh, my life is a lie. And what he does then is either imagine or live out kind of fantasy, a very violent, disturbing and transgressive fantasy, but a very simple-minded and narrow-minded fantasy nevertheless. It's just rage against the machine, to put it that way. Yes, uh, he, is, he is fairly young as well, isn't he? 25, 26? Oh, he's 27, and he, he's doesn't, 27. he doesn't shut up about that. And yeah. He's just 27, and please don't think that he's 30, because if you're 30, you're basically dead. Doesn't he way. say about uh, the lady who does his manicure that she's really old, almost 30, but he would still fuck her? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yes, but it's partly this portrait of this despicable character that fascinates me so much. Because he's so despicable, he's so enthralling. Just as with Humbert Humbert in Lolita. I like reading portraits of horrible people, apparently. And on the one hand, I really despise him all the time, ever since I first read the book. Because, well, he's a rich Wall Street guy. Um, and he he's one of these people who wrecked our economy over the past five, six, seven years, really. And he is so utterly horrible, but then you also grow fascinated with him. And for, for example, I bought a Brooks Brothers shirt because I wanted to have a piece of clothing from a brand that he mentions in the novel. And also it is a very nice shirt. And then I started realizing that there's more to the novel. For example, one of the essays I wrote about American Psycho was about humor in American Psycho. And at first you think, well, there's not a lot there. And then you realize, oh, there's so much. And there are jokes that he makes, things that he finds funny that other people don't find funny. Then there are things that he and other yuppies find funny. But then there's also humor at his expense. But that is sort of hidden and you have to look closer through his very subjective narration to see that. I don't think it's really that hidden. I think the humor is, I agree, very prevalent. But I think the humor is dark at times, certainly macabre, but it's very obvious. Just he is constantly mistaken for someone else. People always mistake him for Marcus Halberstam or Davies or other nondescript characters. And at the same time, he also mistakes other people for other characters all of the time. And that is obviously a description of this world, but at the same time, it's it's really fucking funny. And just it, it's a sort of situational humor. It doesn't come out of his narration, but you just read these situations. Also, when he runs away from a man sort of propositioning him in a bathroom and making a pass at him, and he really overreacts and 
washes his hands and kicks the guy, and it's violent, of course, but it's also very funny because you realize how feeble he actually is. Even many of the more graphic descriptions of violence are funny. Even the, the notorious sequence where he kills a child in a zoo, just the way he describes the act of murdering that child is so nondescript and so in contrast with the, this brutal act that it is a certain kind of very dark humor. And yes, I agree that obviously that is an important part of Patrick Bateman's narration, that on the one hand it shows how ridiculous this world he lives in is, but on the other hand it also shows how ridiculous he as a character and his view are with regard to that world. But still, I don't think that is something that adds much depth to his character or narration. I mean, you mentioned Humbert Humbert, and obviously there we have the difference with our favorite novels, so to say. But I think the difference uh, is that we can agree on is with Humbert Humbert, you are first drawn in by his narration, by his use of beautiful language, and only afterwards realize, hang on, this is a horrible man, and he does horrible things. With Patrick Bateman, it's really, really clear how horrible he is. Even the way he describes things, it's not powerful prose, it's really stark, it's really detailed and cold, and it already tells you that his point of view is a very cold and not very empathetic one. But with him, it's the other way around. Exactly, exactly. You realize how horrible he is, but then you realize that maybe his view is, in a certain way, more moralist, because the world he deals with is a horrible world, where everything is superficial and cold and not about emotions and empathy. And for me, that makes it even worse, because at times I have the feeling that Patrick Bateman is the hero of American Psycho, that he's the only one who at times has a moment of realization that, hang on, this is fucked up. But his reaction to that world is not that he tries to act against it. He's powerless. He doesn't want to give up the nice things he has. As a reaction, he rather indulges in these extremely violent, inhumane fantasies. So you're saying he's a bit like an even more violent version of Rorschach, except without the vigilante parts, somebody who just kills for fun, whereas Rorschach sort of combines work and play there. No, I wouldn't say that, because Rorschach stands for something. He has a, this moment of realization, maybe, but Rorschach reacts very violently in the sense that he says, I stand for something entirely else. I stand for this extremely rigid system of morals. Whereas Bateman says, if this world is nihilistic, then I'm even more nihilistic, then even killing people is perfectly okay, because no one cares. And to that degree, he is not some kind of poor rebel, or some kind of poor, misunderstood moralist in this world. He's the portrait of the society that he lives in. But at the same time, he isn't seen as just a portrait, as a manifestation of that. He's also seen as the one guy who sees through it all, who sees more about the strings he's attached to than Price or Van Patten or whatever their names are. And that makes it even worse, that he sees 
what he is, that he sees how horrible his role in this world is. Yeah, that makes him even more despicable, of course, that he's seeing the walks into this violence, of course. But I, I still don't see the point that makes him uninteresting. It just makes him worse, yes, but he's still interesting. But his character is just one of the very complex things about the novel that I love. I, it's not about that he's uninteresting. He's certainly interesting. But my problem is that he's not interesting in a complex way. He's interesting the same way that, for example, the character of Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street is. The Wolf of Wall Street is basically American Psycho yes. with less death. And I think there's a lot of discussion about this kind of portrayal of horrible people in a horrible world. And the two positions that you might have is, on the one hand, that you really are fascinated by these people, and you kind of want to be like them. I'm certain that, at least with the film version of American Psycho, there are people who really want to be Patrick Bateman. Yeah, stupid people. No, but the thing is, it's and, not... And I say that having bought a Brooks Brothers shirt because Bateman mentions it. It's not just about the superficial stuff, that he's rich, that he's good-looking, that he gets girls, or at least he claims to get girls. But also this other aspect, that he is basically this kind of rebel, that he sees through it all, and he's so conflicted about it and he's a bit like to bring up another example Tyler Durden in Fight Club this kind of mm. adolescent idea of someone fighting the system but in a really cool way and for me I don't know I think there's a lot of potential for misunderstanding that role I think you can't see Patrick Bateman as a hero or as a victim at least not in the way Alice describes him in this novel he is just a fucked up guy and anything beyond that is not there. And that is why I think not only on a, on a kind of moral level you can't identify with Patrick Bateman, but also when it comes to character depth, that Bateman is more superficial than he claims to be with regard to this superficial world. Oh. <laughs> or let me rephrase it. Yeah. I think Bateman is really not that complex a character. He's, yeah, sees through the superficiality of the world, but that doesn't make him any less superficial if he indulges in a kind of opposite reaction, but really doesn't add any different perspective. To yeah, but for example, uh, you can see him as someone who sees through the superficiality of the world and sort of, this, you, you use the word despair, but you can also see him as somebody who really indulges this superficiality. He really hates things that are different. As you said, he hates uh, homosexuals, he hates black people, he hates anyone who is not like him. And actually, you mentioned the scene where he kills a child in the zoo, uh, in the chapter called Killing a Child in the Zoo. And there he really doesn't feel any satisfaction from the death of the child, and the child doesn't have an identity yet. The child hasn't built up a network of connections, and he says that only the mother will miss the child, so killing it is no great consequence. You could see Patrick Bateman as a kind of killer of identity, of individuality. But on one hand, there isn't much individuality left in this society, at least the way Bateman or Alice describes it. And on the other hand, I think that, I don't know, if he is the personification of this society, then it is dealt with in a very, very heavy-handed manner. Alice is not someone who is subtle about certain things. Definitely not, no. Bateman goes on about how he's empty inside, how no one understands him. And even the kind of gimmicks 
with the way he describes this world, that everyone is mistaken for someone else, that Bateman talks all the time about clothes and clothing and about how he has to return videotapes as a kind of writing gag. And music bands. And the music thing um, with very, very glib, superficial 80s music. I mean, in the beginning, that is something that draws you in and you get the effect that there's nothing behind it. Then he goes on and on and on about it. And the only thing that is added then is this kind of serial killer persona that he assumes. And even that in the beginning is quite shocking, obviously. And the scenes where he describes the murders are really disgusting. But even that is after some while kind of a gimmick. Yeah, but then of course there is the question of whether he actually kills all these people or whether it's just his imagination. And then sometimes people have a very simplistic view of it and say, oh, oh, didn't you get it? That it's all just in his head. Oh my God, if you didn't get it, you must be very stupid. And I hate these people because actually it is a lot more subtle and complex than that. That was another thing that the novel showed me. It showed me really how authors can use all this complexity and all this back and forth to really create such an ambiguity. For example, in one of my absolute favorite scenes in the novel, he comes back to the apartment of Paul, who he killed earlier in the novel, and he used this apartment as a kind of place to stash dead bodies and body parts, and it was kind of his murder hole, and he just abandoned it, and he comes back there and he thinks he will find lots of rotting corpses there. But he doesn't, he just finds an empty apartment which is an excellent apartment, it overlooks Central Park, and an estate agent is showing a couple around that apartment. And he thinks, oh, what's, what's going on here? And then he realizes there's this smell of fresh paint, and there are roses everywhere, and are they maybe masking a smell of rot? And it's really unsure. And then also he meets the estate agent, and she tells him to get out. Is she just telling him to get out because he's a crazy guy who shows up at the apartment she tries to sell? Or does she tell him to go away because she actually found all these corpses and she just thought, well, I just saw this apartment and it's in New York, it overlooks Central Park, I can make a million of this. So that is really so much more complex than people give it credit for very often. And that was a scene that really showed me how much of a mindfuck literature can really be. Running the risk of becoming one of the people you hate um, let me still ask you the question. Do you think that all of this is just in Patrick Bateman's head? I mean, there is certainly ambiguity about certain things, but what do you think? What is your kind of reading of these descriptions? Because while reading it, you still form, I think, an image of what is actually going on. So what is your image? Is it that Bateman is just a psycho who doesn't do anything, who just imagines things? Or do you think that he actually does things and the world is so fucked up that it doesn't really matter? I don't really have an answer because I don't really care about the answer. I think it could be that the world's just that fucked up and that would be part of the rather blunt satire that you mentioned. It could also just be that he imagines it, and then he would be an even more pathetic character. Both answers are satisfactory to me in their own way, because in the one answer, Patrick Bateman is cut down even more, and he's exposed even more for the ridiculous idiot that he is. And in the other, it just says something about this world. And you said that the satire is kind of blunt. Yes, it is, but it is still satirizing something that I feel very strongly about, about these horrible people who are, to a large degree, running the world and running it very badly. This is set in the 1980s when Ronald Reagan 
governed America and Margaret Thatcher governed the United Kingdom. And the consequences of this are felt to this day. Ever since then, the world has sort of moved rightwards and it has never gone back. And the disciples of these horrible, horrible people are still in government. And the United Kingdom just re-elected them. So this is still a reality that we live in. And we just have to look at 2008 and the subsequent years to see how people like Patrick Bateman are treating our world. I agree that, obviously, it is a, an interesting portrayal of this very neoliberal world. Um, and to answer my own question, I actually, for me at least, answered that, yes, this is all in his head. But as you said, it doesn't really matter. Because either way, it's a fantasy. Either it's the fantasy of someone who is really repressed and ridiculous in a world that fosters this superficiality and this ridiculous nature, or it is a fantasy of a world in which this nature is even brought out and it doesn't matter. So yeah, the ambiguity, I say, is really well done and there is no definite answer. But at the same time, I found it interesting that Easton Ellis himself said that the portrayal of Bateman wasn't something that grew out of this idea of, oh yeah, stockbrokers and capitalists are evil people. But it's something that he himself felt, that he felt really alienated at that time when he wrote the novel, and that he really felt something horrible in himself, and that kind of grew into Patrick Bateman. And you feel that in the novel, I think, as well, that it starts out as this, this rather straightforward portrayal of this world, and the whole violence, serial killer aspect only comes in later. And I think that already gives us a kind of answer to what the appeal of the novel is, that no matter who you are, whether you're a capitalist or not, in this world you sometimes feel helpless. And that is what basically Bateman feels all of the time. And one reaction is to run amok, not literally, but in your head. How many times have you ever felt unlimited hate against someone who wronged you in some way? Very often. How many times have you imagined just killing someone for some wrongdoing they have acted out against you? And that feeling, that very uncivilized feeling of just doing it and living out the most transgressive, violent fantasies in that regard, that is something that is universal. I think that's not connected just to this capitalist portrayal. It's something everyone feels all of the time, and we usually don't acknowledge it. And that is maybe something why I have to give Easton Ellis credit, that he takes it up and takes it to its extreme. But at the same time, not something that I need to see lived out to the very extreme. But it is somehow cathartic to see it lived out. What you just said about these fantasies of killing people, that reminds me of an installation I once saw in a museum. Of course, I forget the artist, but it was videos that he made of people acting out, pretending to act out their killing fantasies. And that is really cathartic in some way. And you, you sort of said that Ellis said that he felt as alienated as Bateman does as well. You always have to be careful with Brad Easton Ellis, I think, because he is, um, he sort of changes what he says by the day. For example, also remember that he once said that Patrick Bateman was sort of like a demon that possessed him and he would just write in a coke haze for hours and hours and hours and then he would wake up and find all these pads of paper covered in writing and he didn't know how they got there. And then at other times he says 
very different things as well. Though actually, this is the first time that we've read a book by an author that I have met. I, I met Brett Easton Ellis actually my very first week of university, which cool. was a good start. Uh, I think you met Alan Moore, didn't you? Yes, I did meet yeah. Alan Moore, yeah. So, and this is the first book as well that was published in both of our lifetimes. You were alive when Watchmen was published, but I was uh, alive when American Psycho was published. So this is probably the most recent thing we've done so far. And that maybe explains why the world that is described in the book is still with us very much. And Patrick Bateman as a character is as well. I, that probably has to do with the movie as well, but I often find people sort of mention Bateman in conversation. For example, there's a video blogger who does reviews of music. He's called Todd in the Shadows. Hi, Todd, if you should ever listen. Hi, Todd. Love Hi, you. Todd. We really like you. He says about Maroon 5 that they are the kind of band Patrick Bateman might listen to. And that is just a reference that most people in Todd in the Shadows audience will understand. Of course, to do with the movie, but also because of the book. Patrick Bateman is still a factor in our cultural life. It is just something you know about. And obviously the name Bateman alone, you could say many things about it. The connection to Norman Bates, the main character of Psycho, and obviously also... Oh, wow! I didn't get that! Really? No! Although he does talk about Ed Gein in yes. the book, who yeah, yeah. inspired. Though actually, that, that anecdote he tells about Ed Gein, uh, that is not actually an Ed Gein anecdote. Is it a Ted Bundy? It's a Ted Bundy, yes. where he says that... Um, Why do we know that? <laughs> because we are sick fucks. Obviously. No, but that, that is really interesting that it reminds us of Psycho, and then he talks about Ed Gein, even though it's a Ted Bundy story. So that even sets up this connection with Psycho, and of course the book is called American Psycho. And at the same time, Bateman also reminds us of Batman, this other <laughs> kind of capitalist psychopath who has a double life. Who was also played, of course, by Christian Bale. Oh, I didn't realize until now, yeah. <laughs> that is, so yeah, obviously the iconographic power of Bateman is still strong to this very day. You see, that just speaks for the fact that I'm right that he is a fascinating character. And you're wrong. <laughs> I didn't disagree. He is certainly fascinating. I just disagree that he is a complex character. What I would agree with anyway is that the kind of effect the book has on the reader is certainly very you know, effective. I don't know how many times you read about the same situation occurring over and over again. And that, yeah, that brings across very well what Bateman is experiencing in this society, what this community of stockbrokers must be like, something that is utterly horrible. And I mean, the book starts with this quote from Dante's Inferno that yes. no one, no, what, uh, what is it? That you should abandon all hope, hope ye who enter. enter. Uh, excuse my Italian, something like lasciate ogni speranza voi contrate or whatever. But Christian is basically just verbally masturbating right now, <laughs> showing off his I'm basically Italian. Patrick Bateman for literary scholars. I, I speak Italian as well. I can say, you're no proud Italiano. <laughs> True. But anyways, that is very much that effect. That you can really feel the frustration and the terrible nature of this world where everything is repeated, nothing matters. And it has a really physiological effect on you. Not only the disgusting descriptions of the murders, which are at the same time very clinical, medicinal, just as much as the descriptions of the sex scenes, which are basically straight out of pornography. And that also tells me, at least, that they are just fantasy, that Bateman has these fantasies. His lawyer says that he couldn't even pick up a 
call girl. And in his case, these fantasies turn extremely violent and disgusting. And the language he uses to describe this make you feel the same kind of alienation, frustration that he feels. Did you ever struggle to continue reading? Because I know a lot of people who had to stop the book because it got too intense. And I, because I read part of the book on uh, in the car, I sort of, that was the only time that I sort of got nauseous whilst reading in the car. And it was not because of the movement, it was because of the vileness. And I had to sort of put it aside. I also have a friend who intentionally mistreated the book and sort of scratched the cover and folded corners in the book because she felt threatened by it. Very interesting as well did you did you have anything like that not really no i think i had the opposite effect that i was even in the beginning with these very dry and clinical descriptions even before the violence i was really drawn in because i felt that yes there is something lurid and fascinating about this and i wanted to get more into the whole thing and the disgusting descriptions they made me kind of nauseous as well but what i did i just read through them as quickly as possible and then read some more because i knew that at the other end so to say there were other things waiting for me whenever there's a really graphic murder a big murder then there's a chapter on a band like Hugh Lewis and the News or Whitney Houston or... Phil Collins and yes. Genesis. So the graphic descriptions really bothered me, obviously. I think you have to be really a psychopath not to be bothered by that. The, the, remember when you said that Lolita really influenced your writing style? That was the case for me with American Psycho. I remember somebody in our creative writing group once described my writing style as very detailed and often beautiful descriptions followed by terrible, terrible violence. Well, get in line with Chuck Polinick because I think he is 99% Freddie Snellers. But actually, I have to say that I wasn't ever tempted to just stop reading. I wanted to finish this. And that maybe says something about the merit of Isnelli's writing, that he manages to really draw you in, to really portray something obviously horrible in a way that is still fun to read in some way. That sounds paradoxical because I just said that it hurts one physically to read this. But at the same time, yeah. Pain can be fun sometimes. Uh, that just tells us something about you then. Maybe. But uh, I think that Alice is a very good writer on a stylistic level. That he is kind of a one-trick pony in my opinion. But that one trick he does very well. So I would definitely say you should read American Psycho. It will enrich your life. It might disturb you, but get over yourself, seriously. I don't think I can agree this time. I think it's a really good book. But at the same time, I don't think you actually have to read this. Because if you want to read something about this alienating position, then even Easton Ellis himself has written things that are, in my opinion, much more complex. It's certainly influential, but I don't think you have to go through the whole thing. Maybe as a kind of compromise, I would say if you realize that the book is too much for you and if you say, oh, I just don't want to have to read through yet another murder, definitely watch the film adaptation because it is, in my opinion, one of the best adaptations ever made and it addresses a lot of the problems that the book has and solves them in very interesting ways. It has great performances, it is very well directed and it's just an all-around success. And as a kind of compromise for myself, I think that American Psycho at least deserves its status as a cult novel and as a very influential novel that many things are following its example. And if you want to know more about this style that is 
still very important nowadays in American and even other literatures, then you might want to check out American Psycho. So if you have read American Psycho and you've liked it, but maybe you want to read something similar, I would very much recommend Dorian by Will Self. It was published in 2002, so it's a bit later than American Psycho, but it really is its spiritual brother in many ways. It is an updated version of the picture of Dorian Gray, set in the 1980s and 1990s in English high society, and it does some very clever things, for example, the great quote, A cigarette is the perfect kind of a perfect pleasure, it is exquisite yet unsatisfying, is updated to Snorting coke is a perfect modern pleasure, because even as you do it, you want to fucking do it again. And it is very American Psycho-esque. Uh, Dorian Gray kills more people in it as well than he does in the original. Spoiler alert. But it really was the perfect fusion of my two favorite novels. So if you like the picture of Dorian Gray, and if you like American Psycho as well, this is the book for you. Dorian by Will Self. I would also like to recommend a novel that is very... American Psycho wish and definitely influenced by American Psycho that that takes place in an entirely different cultural setting namely in Japan because what I would like to recommend is a novel by Ryu Murakami not Haruki it's a different Murakami Ryu it's called In the Miso Soup and it's a novel that also deals with a kind of psychotic mass murderer in a very superficial society that doesn't really care what's going on but in this case, the mass murderer is not the narrative voice. Rather, his guide in Japan is narrator. And that gives us a very good perspective on what is going on. Because we don't have to follow through this psychotic perspective. It's rather the perspective of someone who knows what is going on is definitely wrong and fucked up and very alien. But he doesn't do anything against it because, hey pays good money. And it is more realistic to a certain degree than American Psycho, but it is just as ambiguous. So we're at the end of our podcast. We could do the usual, what do you think about American Psycho, Stick? But instead we would like you to write to us and tell us what you want. Describe it in detail, please. And maybe um, you could check out our podcast as well. It's a really good podcast. It has really good reviews. Um, it's 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 uh, outside of a dogcast.com or you can just subscribe on iTunes, you know. The email address is also outside of a dogcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, when you come back from returning some videotapes, you can always just go on iTunes and leave a review for us and maybe rate us there. And Donald Trump likes us. Hey. And Tom Cruise. Uh, I, I, I met him the other day in the elevator. He was really into this. And if you don't like us, we'll dismember you. And cook you. Thank you for listening. This time it was all about disgusting killings and lots of existential stuff. So next week is something more pleasant, isn't there? Well, it is also about existential stuff. And about killing, in a way. Next episode we'll read Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Isn't it ironic that a guy called Christian was cast to play Moses? Don't you think? <laughs> it's like rain on your wedding day. It's a free ride.